Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, Titus chapter 3 this morning. Titus chapter 3. We're going to wrap up our study, verse-by-verse study through the book of Titus this morning. And uh, that means Share Sunday is coming up, and I pushed it out another week, so it's going to be September 5th. September 5th is an, gives you an opportunity to share with the body what, what you learned through the book of Titus. And we're also going to go through Philemon. We're going to couple those together. So um, if you're interested in sharing something that God has showed you through the book of Titus or what he will show you through the book of Philemon, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. And there's a sign-up sheet there. And uh, you, you can either come up during that time and you can share three to five minutes from the pulpit. Or you can actually just take a video yourself and we'll throw it up on the screen. If you're like, yeah, I want to share, but I don't know if I really want to get in front of people, then no big deal. You can still share. So um, make sure you do that. Titus chapter 3, stand with me. We're going to begin with verse 1. Paul writing to the young pastor Titus says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice... Have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I said Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to, to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who um, are with me send greeting to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just ask you to come, Lord. Through the power of your Holy Spirit and speak into our lives, just quiet our hearts, Lord. Give us ears to hear and give us hearts to obey what it is that we hear today. Lord, we want to be changed and transformed. God, as we look around the world today, we we are in desperate need of you. So will you come and speak into our lives? Lord, we also want to lift up all of those who are going through sickness, Lord, in our body and and just all around this this area. Father, we just ask for you to bring healing to them. 
We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So last week I started my sermon with an illustration about a, an older couple who was forgetful. And you remember the lady asked for some ice cream, some whipped cream and uh, with a cherry on top. And her, her, her husband brought her eggs and bacon. And she looked up at him and said, where's the toast? Do you remember that? Because they, they, they are for, forgetful. So it was interesting this week when I was... Um, my son and I were having lunch on Monday, and uh, I met him in Franklin, so we uh, left his car in a parking lot, and we went to lunch, and then we came back, and uh, we had time to kill. So we were sitting there just hanging out in my car talking, and I noticed this guy walking towards my car like this, and he's looking like in the mirror, like, like in, the, in the windshield, like, and he keeps doing this, and I'm thinking... What is this guy doing? And he keeps walking towards my car. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking like he gets more concerned and more concerned as he moves towards our car, just kind of looking, trying to look in the windshield. And, and he comes in between my car and my son's car, and he's like looking it up and down. He cannot understand why his key fob is not opening up the doors to this car. Now, my cars, thankfully, the car that I have has the door handles pop out when they're unlocked, but when they're locked, they stay in. So you can't hold, you can't, that guy's lucky he didn't open the door. Maybe I'm lucky he didn't open the door. I'm not sure yet, but, but anyway, the guy gets to the backside of my car and he's trying to, he thinks it's his car. And he obviously isn't putting two, 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 two together. He's thinking like, why is, why are they in my car? And I'm thinking, probably because this isn't your car. I mean, that might be one of the reasons. So the guy goes around and finally realizes this isn't my car. Standing ovation. We get, no, we didn't do that. But, but you know, and then he, and I see his car, you know, literally like two lanes over. And I was thinking about saying, hey, you might want to tie a ribbon on that, that to show you like that's your car, to remind you of what your car, where your car is. And um, listen, as we get older, we need reminders. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the book of Titus, the last chapter here. He was bringing, he's giving Titus some important reminders to remember. Some reminders to remember. So you recall last week, Paul exhorted Titus, the first two words in chapter three, remind them, remind them. Again, this literally means to cause to recall and to think about again. What Paul is telling Titus to tell the people in Crete is something they already know. All of the things that he's going to say are things that they already know. Um, last week, we went through a few of them. We didn't get through all of them, so I'm going to give you a recap, and then we're going to move forward all the way through the chapter. But um, there were four reminders that I had listed out in verses 1 through 8. Uh, the first reminder was uh, a rem uh, they were to be reminded to remember their obligations to others in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, they were to be reminded to remember their former condition, verse 3. Their mission, verse, or, or their regeneration, verses 4 through 7. Their mission, verse 8. And I've added two more to, to, to kind of lock out this chapter in verses 9 through 15. They're to remember their lane, verses 9 through 11, and remember their tribe, verses 12 through 15. And we're going to just overview the, the first two and go into our study here this morning. So, verse 1, Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul is exhorting Titus to remind these people to be submissive, to be submissive, to surrender their rights to these people, to surrender themselves to the not just godly rulers, but rulers and authorities, all rulers and authorities. Now, the known world there and, and during this time was being uh, ruled by Rome, who wasn't necessarily super kind people, especially to those uh, who were outside of the Roman Empire. And yet, Paul doesn't give them a pass on that. He doesn't say, okay, well, they're not godly rulers, so don't worry about it. That's not the issue. The issue is authority. The issue comes down to surrender to authority, submission to authority, to obey authority. And the reason why we talked about last week, because all authority comes from God. Romans chapter 13. He's the one that institutes rulers and authorities. Thus, through his sovereignty and for his purpose, and thus we're to, to be obedient to these rulers and authorities. And when we're not, guess who we're rebelling against? God himself. It's something to think about in our culture these days. You know, for us in Americans, as I said, it's difficult for us to understand these things because we have rights and we want to stand for those rights. Here's what I'll tell you. Do not allow your rights to go above God's word. Do not allow your rights and your culture to go above God's word. God's word reigns supreme and should be the guide of your life over all things. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't walk according to our rights or we don't do things, you know, we don't do what we can to, to uh, support our rights and to preserve our rights. That's not what we're saying. But when it comes down to it, we, we submit to rulers and authorities because God's word is above our rights. And so we talked about that a little bit. And we do that only to the point in which it does not violate Scripture, and that's the only clause out of this situation here. So it doesn't matter if who's sitting in the, the big chair up on Capitol Hill. It doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republic or Republican or, or, you know, independent or whatever the case might be. That's irrelevant when it comes to Christians. Because we have a call from God to submit to rulers and authorities. And man, I'll tell you what, this word submission is, is uh, totally lost in our culture the word authority is totally lost in our culture, folks. People do not want to surrender to authority. And you know what that is? Pride. And Christians, I will say also, are going to be tempted in this area of being proud when it comes to these things. Be careful. Be careful. We're called by God to submit to rulers and authorities. He, Paul goes on here, to our obligations to our fellow man as well. It's not just, you know, godly rulers and authorities. No, all rulers and authorities, but also all men. Not just some men, not just men of the faith, but all men. Your fellow man. You are called, according to Paul here, uh, to be gentle and courteous and avoid quarrels and speaking evil. We're to be light in this world. We're to be kind to those around us, even when they're not kind back. I love the, uh, somebody said it, I don't know who did, but, you know, the idea of, you know you're a servant when you're treated like one. So what do servants do? You serve, even when you're treated like a servant. Listen, you and I are ambassadors of Christ. 
We represent Jesus Christ, and that comes above everything. You're an ambassador of Christ. Do not forget that. Therefore, our interactions with authority and our interactions with our fellow man matter more than our freedoms, folks. More than our freedoms. Uh, what, what you need to ask yourself is, how does this situation or circumstance I'm facing translate into eternity? That's the one question you ask yourself when it comes to these things. How does this translate into eternity? Is this an earthly matter or is this a, an eternal matter? If it's an eternal matter, I'm going to stand my ground. If it's an earthly matter, I'm going to uh, obey the Lord and I'm going to do what he says. These are the things that we need to consider. The second reminder Paul tells us is to remember our former condition. He says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Paul tells those in Crete not to dwell on their past, but also not to forget it. Don't forget what you were saved from. It's so interesting how our past helps us to be relatable in our presence. Your past is something God can use to be relatable to that person who doesn't think that you can relate because your life is so changed and transformed. You know, God wants to use your past in a way. How many times have you ever come across somebody who is stuck where you are and you go, oh, I know exactly where, where you are. I've been there. This is my story. But listen to what the Lord did. And it's, a, it's an opportunity to give a testimony about the power of God in your life when you surrender to him. And so God uses our past. Your testimony is about your past. We don't dwell on our past, though. We don't embellish the past. We don't make our story more than it is. We, let, we, we just speak the truth. We allow the things that we've gone through uh, to be used in the life of those around us. And for somebody here today, maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 1 will, will remind you that you are to comfort others with the same comfort that you've received. God has taken through you through something, and you can hand off that peace and comfort that he's given you by giving a person a testimony of what he's done in your life. Don't forget that. Uh, we, were once, we were once foolish people. Some of us still are. We're still figuring that out, but <laughs> whoa, guess that didn't go over. Disobedient and led astray. We were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, malicious and envious in our actions, being hated and hating others because we too were unregenerated once. We were stuck in our sin with no hope of escape. This makes us um, relatable to those who are still stuck in that place, who are hopeless, who are unregenerated, bound in chains. Your past will play a role in your present ability to minister to those around you and with love and compassion. And I think that's more than anything what our past does is helps us to be compassionate towards those people that are stuck where we, where we once were. And notice the word once. It's past tense. God has rescued you and he's saved you. And you, if you're not changing and transforming, you need to ask yourself some questions. Was I once that way or am I still that way? Because there is no salvation to someone who has never changed. The Bible makes it super clear. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. You can't, you know, you can't be, uh, you can't live the new life in dead, as a dead person. You can't do it. You can act like you're doing it, but 
there will be a significant change in your life, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But your past will help you to, to be more compassionate towards those around you. And he will help you to um, minister to those who need set free. If he can redeem you, he can redeem anybody. So don't forget that. This brings us to our third reminder here that we are also to be reminded to remember our regeneration. Paul says in verse 4, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Contrary to popular belief, no one is born a Christian. Nobody is born a child of God. You become one. It's a process. It's called regeneration. It's called redemption. It's called salvation. That's God taking you from being dead and making you alive. Everybody has to be redeemed from the clutches of sin and death. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he said to him, what do, I do what do I have to do to be saved, Jesus? And Jesus said these words to him in John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, to somebody like Nicodemus, that probably rocked his world a little bit. He didn't understand. And in fact, he goes on to have this dialogue with Jesus like, how can I be born again? Like, how do I, my mom, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. How can I do this? And Jesus says, oh, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. To be born again is something that all of us need. We're to be born of the Spirit of God. And that can only happen when somebody consciously chooses to renounce sin and crown Jesus the Lord of their life. And in that moment, everything changes. Everything changes when a person comes in humility to the cross and they recognize their sin and they lay themselves down before the Lord and say, I have nothing to offer you except for all of this baggage and I need forgiveness for that. Will you forgive me? And he will do it. He will do it. Listen, he will, if you come to him, he will by no means cast you out. He wants to receive you and that is his desire for you. That's what Paul is saying here when he transitions to verse 4 with the word but. Your former ways were like this but. Everybody has a but in their story. Your past has been dealt with and you have been born again with a living hope to walk in newness of life. This is what it means to be regenerated Paul says, it happened when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. It was the goodness of God when his loving kindness that caused Jesus to appear and die for us. How good is God that he would send his son for you and I? How good is he to do that? That's incredibly good of God because we're stuck without it and he knows it. God is so good that he would send his son 
on our behalf. How kind is the Lord that he would send his only begotten son on a rescue mission, knowing that it would cost him his life. How kind is God that he would do that for you and I? He's very kind. More kind than you could ever even imagine. His incredible love for you and I, and that he would send his son. How loving and filled with kindness is God to see us stuck in our sin and for him to send Jesus on a death mission for us. Notice it was God our Savior who appeared. He saved us. Not the Son of God, our Savior, but God the Savior here in our text. He's both. But Paul is making a very clear distinction in the nature of Jesus here. He's saying he's not just a man, but he's God, our Savior. God didn't send a proxy for you. He came himself. He stepped into our world to become our Savior because nobody else could do it. And he knew that. And so he said, I will bear the sin of the world so that some might be saved. Jesus knew that he, he was stepping into a situation where many would go the way of destruction. Not many people will actually receive me as their Savior, but I'll step in for the ones that will. Now, man, if that doesn't amplify the goodness and the kindness of God, understanding that he's outside of time and space, that he knows the end, the beginning from the end. He knows the beginning of your life and the end of your life. He knows everything that you're going to do. He's sovereign in, every, in, in your life. And yet he stepped into the world for you, already knowing, you know, how you're going to respond to the gospel. Wow. I can tell you right now, if that was my choice, I wouldn't do it. And you probably wouldn't either. He came for all, but only some would receive him. But he came anyway, and he stepped into our world. Jesus wasn't also merely a human being, but he was God as well. And, and in fact, what we find here is that uh, Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, that King Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born of the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is what is called the second Adam. He's the second Adam. What does that mean? Well, there was a first Adam. He's the second one. He came in the same nature and likeness as, as Adam did himself in the, in the sense of a human being in perfect flesh. He didn't come in the fallen nature like you and I because he wasn't born of man and woman. He was born of the Spirit of God through the virgin birth of his mother Mary. So Jesus, in a sense, he came in the same likeness as Adam himself, being formed and fashioned by God and then blows the breath of life into him. So he, didn't, he, he wasn't necessarily under the, the sinful flesh, but he was... Tempted in everything that you and I would be tempted in. And he failed in none of them. He lived a perfectly sinless life. As a fully God and fully man. Jesus. 
Don't ever confuse the humanity of Christ with his true identity. Listen, he became a man. And that's important to note. He became a man. He, wasn't, he was God that became a man. And that's very, very uh, important because his identity is in his Godhead. He was creator of all things, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1. He is eternal God. And yet he was willing to become a man so that you and I could have a savior. So that we could be redeemed. So that we could have a redemption story. He came to save us. You know why? Because we couldn't save ourselves. We could not save ourselves. Now, many of us, we will totally agree with the idea that we cannot be saved by works, right? Wrong. Wrong. We are saved by works. We're just not saved by our works. We're saved by his works. Some of you are super nervous right now. You're like, wait a second, what is he saying? Where's he going with this? We are saved by works, folks, but will never be your works, ever be your works. It's the works of righteousness. It's the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That, you know what he did is it's called the great exchange where Jesus takes his works and he transfers them on you. So you're, uh, when God looks upon you, he sees his son's perfect works on you. He's clothed, you're clothed with the robe of righteousness. Jesus took your place. He took your sin. He removed all of your filth and sin upon, and took it upon himself and gave you his righteousness. The great exchange. Now who would do that for you? Who would do that for you? Not many, Paul says. Not many would do that. You know, not many would die for uh, people that particularly they don't even necessarily have a relationship with. Some of us would die for our kids or our spouse or whatnot. That's understandable. But for the sin of the world? Wow. Jesus came to save and we're saved by his righteousness, by his works, not by ours. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we find salvation. Here's what happens when we come to Christ, when we come to the foot of the cross and we lay ourselves down before the Lord, surrendering to him, receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says that we are, wa we, we are washed by regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of significant change in your life, folks. This is a significant moment. It's going from death to life. It's going from unclean to clean. That's what Paul means by saying the word washing here. He isn't speaking of baptism, which some people will attribute to this passage. It is not the context. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, literal water washing. He's talking about an internal washing of the blood of Christ washing you clean. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about baptism. And we are washed by the blood of Christ. We are then regenerated. That word means to be born again. We are literally born again. We are, we are made new. And then we are renewed through the Spirit of God. Which means we are made new. The Holy Spirit changes our nature. He gives us a, a new life, a better life, a pure life, a life that we can walk in power and might, Jesus Christ. 
It's the blood of Christ that does the washing. His, re his resurrection does the regenerating. And the Holy Spirit does the renewing. So you have all these things working together all at once when we come and surrender our hearts to the Lord. This not only produces uh, within us forgiveness of sins, but listen, also makes us heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen, you go from having nothing to having everything. You gain everything that Jesus has. You get. What does Jesus have? Everything. So you too, when you come to Christ, you are co-heirs with Christ. You gain his inheritance. We become heirs, listen, according to the hope of eternal life. This is why we never want to forget our regeneration, folks. We never want to get beyond our salvation. We never want to think beyond like, oh, well, that was back there and I'm moving forward. We should be referring back to God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Thank you for doing that work in my life. Because it reminds us of where our true citizenship is, folks. It is not here. Our citizenship is not of this world. If you're an heir of Christ, then you're a citizen of his kingdom. And we need to be thinking like that. If that's the case, I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven. My thoughts should be on my citizenship in heaven. My actions be thinking about how can I live here in this world as a citizen of heaven? How can I be that representative of Jesus Christ in this world? That's what we're called to. That's why we remind ourselves of our redemption continually so that we can be reminded of our citizenship. We can be reminded of our call to represent Jesus Christ in this world. Listen, if you're discouraged today, hey, be encouraged. You're not of this world. This is not your citizenship. This is just a passing point along the way, folks. You're sojourners. You're moving through this world onto eternity. You're, you, have a, you have a different kingdom you're of. And that doesn't mean that we don't... Um, concern ourselves at all with the things that are going on here, but only as it relates to the kingdom of God, folks. Don't get that mixed up. We're going to talk about that in a second when we talk about our mission. Don't mix up, you know, the cares of this world with the, with the things of your citizenship in heaven. Remind yourself that you're, this is just a passing point. You're passing through this world. Don't get sucked up in it. Remember your regeneration. Here's, the, here's an amazing thought. We'll never know what it cost Jesus to pay the price for our sin. We'll never know that, really. Never understand that. Man, he, you know, when I think about myself and I think about what he's done for me, it just brings me to a place of humility in my heart. It's just like, Lord, thank you. Because you, you and I, we couldn't do it on our own. We needed him. But we'll never fully know what our sin cost him. But it cost him everything. And he'd willingly pay for it over and over again, folks. He loves us that much. We should never stop praising him for giving us the hope of eternal life. Well, not only are we to be reminded of our obligations to others, our former condition, and our regeneration, but also our mission. Look at verse 8 here, where Paul goes on to say, The saying is trustworthy. And I want to insist on these things so that 
Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Paul goes on to remind us to remember our mission to the lost and dying world. He's telling us, hey, don't forget what you're supposed to be doing. He tells Titus, I want to insist on these things. These aren't suggestions, folks. He is insisting on these things. On what things? Everything that Paul has said in this letter regarding how the church is to interact with one another and with the dying world around it. He said, I insist on these things. Titus, you also must insist on these things. Literally, to, to state something with confidence and certainty. Titus, the, you're not to just make some suggestions to people about how they may ought to live. You're to tell them how they are to live. This is the way you're supposed to do it. You know, and, and sometimes we need reminded of that. Do you know that that's why we have eight pillars painted on our walls? We just didn't want to graffiti up the sanctuary like, hey, let's just paint some stuff on the wall, make it look cool. They're supposed to be reminders. And in fact, if you pull the bookmark out in your, the seat back pocket in front of you, there you have them. And you can read about them. You can take those and you can read the scriptures that go along with those. Those are, are, are really our eight core commitments to each other. Us to you and you to each other. And I want you to just look around and, and remind yourself of your core commitments to each other according to the word of God. We have, we have obligations to each other. We have a mission to each other. We need to be reminded of those things. These aren't suggestions. These are from the word of God. These are things that we're supposed to be living by. We're just putting them up on the wall so people would be reminded. Because you know what? I think a lot of these are the ones that people forget. And they're very basic. Very basic things. But it's the basic things that we need reminded of the most, isn't it? I said it last week. I'll say it again. The pastor's job is to remind people of things they already know. So we're just sitting here doing that this morning. Paul says, insist on these things, Titus. Don't let it slip out. Don't let people wiggle their way out of these things. They're called to do these things. Listen, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul speaking to all believers uh, here, not just the leadership, but to every believer in Creed and to you and I here today that they are to be careful. This means to keep on giving serious consideration to something, to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on, to keep thinking about, to fix one's attention on. We are to be careful. Uh, we, we are to be careful to devote, literally to engage, to be active in helping ourselves to what? To good works. What's the end of what we're supposed to be doing? Good works. We're called to good works, folks. It's not how you're saved. It has nothing to do with your salvation, but it's something you do because you're saved. Good works are, are really the mission of the Christian. Our mission is good works. We, we talk about this. I use this scripture all the time because uh, it, it's, it's our mission. Ephesians 2.10, listen. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he created beforehand that we should walk in. Right? So we were created in Christ Jesus, born again to a living hope for 
good works. That's our mission. These aren't optional. It's not an option to somewhat do good works. You know, and, and, and it's not really necessarily, it could be talking about helping little old ladies across the street. You could do that. That's, that, that's a good work. But it's good works that he created that you should walk in. It's conversations that he set up for you. It's interactions with people. It's when somebody's broke down on the side of the road and you pull over and that's a good work that he's created for you to walk in. And because you're so in tune to the spirit, you know what's going on. This is beyond the physical world. This is a spiritual moment. Listen, you will miss these moments if you're not walking and you're not in tune with the spirit of God. We have to be in tune with the spirit of God. We need to be constantly saying, Lord, what are the good works that you created me to walk in today? What do you want me to do today, Lord? Of course, we, we always, um, you know, think about the, 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 the Great Commission. Oh, yeah, that's the good works that he's called you to. It's beyond that, folks. Sometimes the Great Commission is fulfilled in simple things like helping somebody change their tire on the side of the road and you share the gospel with them because of that opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. Be prepared. Be in tune with the Lord. You know what? The Bible says that it's your good works that will become an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your mission is that of good works, Christian. Good works. And again, part of that is the Great Commission, to share the gospel. And we do that with our lives and also with our words, both. I don't like that saying, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, live your life and, uh, you know, share the gospel with your life and when, when necessary, use words. I think we should always use words. We should always use words when God opens the window. But we, we have to live in a certain way. We have to be mighty in word and deed. We have to be both. We have to live a way so that the words that we say match what we're, what, the way that we're living. People can see that example. Listen, we need to operate in the right spirit so that we can do these things, so that we can walk in these ways. Notice Paul says these things are excellent and profitable for people. Not just for you, but for people, people around you. Think about the people in your office building. Think about the people in your, or in your own home, your neighbors, all of these things. It's profitable for them uh, to do that. When you're, they're profitable for them when you're living in such a way that you are devoting yourself to good works. Next, we, f- we consider the reminder to remember our lane. Look at verse 9. <laughs> but avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Have you ever um, been told to stay in your lane? Anybody ever said that to you? Like, stay in your lane. What are they saying? Mind your business. That's what they're saying. You stay in your lane. Don't get in my lane. You stay in your lane. That means that you have something you're supposed to be doing. Mind your business. Turn to the neighbor next to you and say, hey, stay in your lane. A couple of you. Turn to the, the other neighbor and say, mind your business. Listen, 
Some folks have an incredibly hard time with staying in your lane. Some folks can't, cannot do that. They don't understand their lane. So the, the most important thing to do is to know your lane, to understand what your lane is. We're not talking about a worldly lane. We're talking about a spiritual lane. What is your spiritual lane? What is it? It's about the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about eternal things. It's about salvation. That's your lane. You know what your lane isn't? Anything in this world. That's not your lane. Your lane is eternal things. Your lane is redemptive things. Your, your lane leads to Jesus Christ always. Your, world has, your lane has nothing to do with this world, folks. And here's, here's the reality of it is. So many Christians are, are thinking they're in the right lane and they're in the wrong lane. And they're living their life for the world, in the world, and with the hope of going to heaven. And listen, here's the reality is, it's not that that, won't, that will keep you out of heaven, but man, you're going to miss a lot if you do that. You need to stay in your lane. You got to know your lane. You got to know what you're called to do. You got to understand that every interaction in your life, every place that God puts you, every single thing that you do in life has some spiritual bearing and has some meaning. Right? You drive through the drive-through at Hardee's across the street over there, and, and you're like, and you're having an interaction with that person. There's a there's meaning in that. There's a purpose in that. You know, you, you're you're you let somebody in when they're trying to get into it. There's purpose in that. It's far beyond what we can even understand folks. You know why? Because they saw the Calvary Chapel sticker on the back of your car and then they noticed you let them in and they're like, oh cool, that's, that's nice. Those people are nice people. Christians are nice people. But if, we, we're, acting, if we're out of our lane, we're not acting like Christ, then people are going to be like, dang dude, those people, what's their deal? They're out of their lane. They need to get back in their lane. Stay in your lane. Listen, we are not free to express the, anything, in the, anything relating to this world, uh, you know, our opinions and such. We're not free to just do that. We're not free to do that. We've got to think beyond ourselves. We think about how, you know, it doesn't matter how I feel about something. What matters is how does God feel? And what is he calling me to do in this moment? God will put you in your lane, folks. He will put you in your lane. He'll remind you of your lane. Paul said to Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What is he saying? He's saying know your lane. You have a, you have a command, uh, you know, we have some orders from your commander in chief, Jesus Christ, and that's your lane and you stay in that lane and you accomplish his orders, not your orders, his orders. What is he calling you to do? He's definitely not calling you to express yourself in the world and what, how are you feel like doing that. That's definitely not what he's calling you to do. He, in fact, he tells us here, avoid foolish conversations. How many foolish conversations have you been in this week? Anybody? Been in quite a few foolish conversations? There's so many foolish conversations going on in our world today. Christians need to avoid foolish conversations. When you think something's foolish, that means avoid the conversation, not engage in it. How many people have you, um, have, um, you know, really 
done some incredible work on Facebook with conversations with people, like controversial ones. You're like, yeah, how many people have you led to the Lord doing that? Zero probably, right? I'm not saying God couldn't use that. What I'm telling you is for the most part, the devil uses that. The devil uses that. We're free thinkers and we can do whatever we want. No, we're not. We have a lane. And the lane always leads to Jesus Christ. Ask yourself this question before you engage in a conversation. If Jesus were standing here with me right now, how would I respond to this? How would I deal with this situation? How would I express myself in this situation? Maybe you'll find yourself expressing yourself in a, in, in a total different manner. My guess is we probably all would. So let that be your litmus test. Lord, help me to guard my mouth. Help me to guard my mouth in the conversations that I'm getting into. Now, the context of what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about Judaizers who are coming into Creed and who are trying to sway these guys by, you know, conversations regarding how spiritual they are because of their, you know, whatever, some, some dumb thing they made up or, or genealogy or something like that, something relating to the law. Look how great I am kind of thing. And you need to be like I am. And, you know, Jesus Christ is great. But you know what? And you need to do these things as well. That's what he's talking about. When he talks about avoid foolish conversations, he told Timothy the same thing. Why is Paul telling his young pastors to avoid these kinds of conversations? Because we're, we're, we want to engage in these conversations. That's why. Because we want people to see things the way we see them. That's pride. Do you know that? I'm going to make you see, see it the way I see it. Listen, you're not going to make anybody do anything. You, you, you try that. It doesn't work. But you know what? You can have conversations with people about things, and God can use it if you do it in the right way, but not because you want them to see it the way you see it. You know, sometimes we have to, well, all the time we have to be okay with that person walking away from the conversation totally opposed to the way that you see things. It's got to be okay with you. Because if it's not, you're going you're to be tempted to take it beyond what God wants you to do. And, you know, here in this, in this case, these guys wanted the, the Christians to be, you know, circumcised. They wanted them to, to adhere to the dietary laws of the, of the day and all of that stuff. And here's what Paul says. Those are foolish conversations. Don't have them. To his pastors, wait a second, I thought we were supposed to be apologetics, you know, aren't we supposed to defend our faith and all of this kind of stuff? And he says, not like that, not these kind of conversations, because these conversations don't lead anywhere. These conversations don't save people. Somebody comes at you with something, you can kind of tell if they're interested in having a conversation or making you see it their way, right? You, you've had those interactions, so you know that. And so we definitely don't want to be those people, but we also don't want to engage in those kind of conversations because it's not fruitful. The, the Judaizers were coming into the church and trying to, to make people see that it wasn't by grace through faith in Christ alone, but it was by legalism, by law abiding, by self-exoneration of false gospel of works is what they were trying to convince these guys of. And Paul says, man... Don't engage in these sorts of conversations because they are unprofitable and worthless. They're unprofitable and worthless. 
We have to be very careful about the conversations we're having when it comes to, um, you know, things of legalistic manner and whatnot. You know, people that are coming from that, that it doesn't mean we don't ever have the conversation. This isn't a blanket statement across the board. Because God will maybe insert somebody, you know, when it comes to evolution, God may insert somebody in your life that you have a very uh, specific understanding of something that you can bring light into their world, right? He will do that. But he will do that. Just make sure it's the Lord doing that. For most of us, we're doing good to just try and, you know, live our lives the best we can for Christ and share the gospel, right? God has people that he will uh, utilize in those situations. Maybe you're one of them, but at the end of the day, you need to weigh that out with the Lord. The enemy wants to get you and I into foolish conversations in our day and age. The enemy wants you and I to engage in things that have no eternal value, that have no eternal significance, and he wants you and I to jump into this world that's totally divided on controversial subjects that don't matter at the end of the day. And he's, and he's doing a great job of engaging the church and getting the, the church engaged. And how many of you are going to go to heaven or are going to stay out of heaven because of critical race theory? Anybody here? No. Because it doesn't matter. Because it's a foolish conversation. You know, how many of us are going to stay out of heaven and go to heaven because uh, we get vaccinated or we don't get vaccinated? Or we wear masks or we don't wear masks? None of that matters, folks. None of that matters. At the end of the day, those are foolish disputes that we need to, t we need to understand. They're ploys of the enemy to distract us. You know how they do it in the news where, you know, something happens and they, they, they're, they're, maybe they shine light on something and it's like we're just getting to the bottom of what's happening in this situation and then something else happens and then it's like, well, bing, let's go over here. Let's talk about this. And we forget about that over there. That's exactly what the devil's doing with you and I, with our mission. He's doing that with us, and he's really good at it because we want to engage in these conversations. Why? Because we want people to see things the way that we see them. You know, and, and, and that's not the right heart. Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, he cared about the despair of people. He cared about the eternal place of people. He cared about where people were going at the end of the day, not winning a conversation. And in fact, the people that he was the most brutal with were the religious people because they're the ones that were engaging in these foolish conversations. Don't be a religious person. Don't forget about this. Do not get sucked up in this world because remember, you're not a citizen of this world. Can I just tell you right now, the world is going to fade and die, period. That's the end. That's the end game for the world. We know that. You know, so what should we do? Focus on something that matters. Focus on something that translates into eternity, not something that's going to die and perish in, in hell, in the lake of fire. Don't focus on that. Focus on Christ. Focus on the mission. Don't get in uh, foolish disputes with the world. Paul goes on here and he tells us, um, you know, here's what will happen if you get out of your lane and you try to save the world from their foolishness and their idiosyncrasies. Here's what will happen. You'll blow your testimony for Christ and you'll get totally off mission. And Paul goes on here and he tells us something else about our lane. It's not just we're called to stay, be steadfast when it comes to Christ, but also within the lane, we're called to 
to interact with certain people in certain ways. And he goes on to tell us what that means here. He tells us that we, when it comes to a person who stirs up division, that we're to warn them once, then twice, and if they refuse to listen, then we have nothing to do with them until they repent. And I add that in there because that's part of the gospel. That's part of the Matthew 18 when you're dealing with somebody who has something against you. You go to that brother, you know, if you sin against somebody, you go to that brother. You discuss it. If they won't listen, you take somebody else with you. If they won't listen, you take it before the church. If they won't listen, then you treat them like an unbeliever. This is what's called church discipline. And, you know, it's one of those things that we hate this, this concept in our culture today, but it's to protect the church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you get one person that's divided in here and, and they, they work their way through the crowd and causing dissension. And guess what? The next thing you know, the whole place is divided. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what, what I believe Paul is saying here is not just to Titus, but it's also to you, you guys, when you're having conversations with each other. That if you see somebody who's stirring up division, that you deal with it right then and there. You don't take it to, he doesn't say, hey, make sure you tell them to come take it to you, Titus, so that you can deal with it. Make sure everything goes through you, right? That's how some churches are ran. That's not the way the church should be ran. We're the church. There's leadership, yes. And, and, and at some point that needs to be, be brought up to the leadership. But you have the same authority as I do. Do you know that? In Christ, biblical authority, you have the same authority as anybody. Titles are, are, are outside of the authority of Christ, folks. So when it comes to interactions with each other, if somebody is gossiping, somebody's creating division in the body of Christ, you need to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. I don't think we should be having this conversation. Yeah, but you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think we should be having this conversation. You're creating division in the body of Christ. Well, I know, but let's get back to, okay, you know what? I can't fellowship with you. That sounds harsh. You're like, whoa, man. I don't know if I could do that. Listen, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to stop the sin. Somebody's got to be willing to say, hey, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to allow those divisions to take place. And, and, you know, especially, you know, I can't, can only imagine in, in, a, in a mega church, how, does, how do they deal with that? If the body of Christ is not doing that amongst itself, it's impossible to do. It's impossible to do it. That's why we're, we're, we're the church. We have responsibilities before the Lord. You know, it, here's, here's the way I look at it. If you're part of a conversation, the way I look at it is God probably had you part of that conversation so you could deal with it, not me. So you could deal with it. I'll deal with it if we need to get to that place, but you should deal with it first. When, it, when it's a matter between you and another person, the biblical mandate is you deal with that, with that person directly. And I think that's what he's saying here. You know, warn that person. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let's not create division in this body. You know, God hates division, folks. It'll tear down the good works of the Lord, what the Lord is doing in the midst of faster than anything when somebody comes in and they start dividing the body, talking about what they don't like or do like or this or that, you know, and, and all of that is fleshly stuff, man. 
Paul says, warn them once. They don't listen, warn them twice. If they refuse, then cut off your fellowship with that person. He says, such a person, listen, listen, this is biblical. Such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. They're doing it themselves. You're not doing anything other than upholding the biblical standard, which is, I'm not going to be part of that. They've self, they've condemned themselves. Listen, our world is so divided, folks. So divided. And we can't afford to be divided in the church. I want to encourage you, if, if, that's, if that's ever happened or is happening, that you deal with that. You say, hey, come on, we don't want to do that. That's division in the body of Christ. And then if, if, if it's out of hand, come talk to us. We'll help you. We'll deal with it, you know. But, but, but make sure you do your part. We're a family and we want to protect our family, right? So we want to make sure we do that. This brings us to our final reminder here. Remember your tribe. Paul says, when I, sent, uh, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. And not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. One of the big concepts in our culture today is to find your, tri find your tribe, right? And it, it's so interesting. That means just, you know, kind of find your people. Know your people. And, and, you know, whatever it is. The people that are like you. The people that think like you. Um, and, and it's like there's a culture that's created within these little groups of people. I was part of a gym that was called Iron Tribe. And the gym was, had a tribe-like culture. It was crazy. I was like, dang, there is such an incredible culture in this gym. I'm thinking like, I wish the church was like this. This is awesome. These people are interacting with each other. They're doing things together. They're, they're supporting things together co corporately. And the church is like that. Don't, don't let me say that it's not, but it was amazing to see that culture. You know, I'm like, wow, this is such an amazing thing. And culture starts with the leadership. So if you don't have that kind of culture, it starts with the leadership and, and you know, kind of calling to that culture. But anyway, and, and so it was just interesting to watch that. We as Christians have a tribe. We're the tribe. This is our tribe. And we have a culture that we're breeding here. We want a biblical culture. We want a culture that breeds love. And you know what's so cool about our culture and our church is that um, anybody who comes in here new or visits or whatever will say, man, your, your church is so loving, so welcoming. So I feel so encouraged when I come into the body and, 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 you know, it feels like people really love each other. That's the culture we want to be known for. That's the culture Jesus said we should be known for. That we love one another, right? And, and so Paul is, Paul is telling, uh, you know, Titus that they have a tribe and they need to be considered of the tribe. Here's what he says. He's going to send Artemis and Tychicus to uh, Crete who is going to replace him and he wants, uh, he wants Titus to come and meet him in Nicopolis. He's he's, he cares about um, Titus. He's not just left him in Crete. He's not just saying, hey, man, this is your end. You know, this is where you're going to stay. No, I want you to come back. I'm going to send somebody else to, to finish up doing whatever it is that you're doing. And I want you to meet me in Nicopolis. Interesting enough, 
It's believed that it was in Nicopolis where Paul actually was arrested the second time and sent to Rome, and that's when he actually died. There were some, some Greek games that happened during, in 66 AD, and, and Caesar Nero was actually in Nicopolis during this time. And uh, interesting enough, they rigged the game so that he would win. Understandable. You know, you want Caesar to win probably if you're competing against him. How would you like to be the guy competing against Caesar? Be like, no, I don't think I want to do that. He kills people. Um, you win. Here, you're, you're the best. You know, you win this. So, uh, he, you know, it's believed that that's when Paul was arrested and then sent back to Rome. And then he was executed for his faith. And Titus is not just left to die in Creed is my point. Paul's still thinking about him. He's still loving on him. He's still ministering to him. He's still part of his tribe. And he's caring for him. Not only this, but then check this out. He transfers that to Titus. And he says, hey, when, when Zenos the lawyer and Apollos, they come through Crete to wherever they're going, we don't know. Make sure they lack nothing. Make sure when they come through, you care for your tribe. You love your tribe. You, you give them what they need. You support them on their way that they lack nothing, right? And then he goes on here, and, and he says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Again, repeating the same thing. Devoting themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need. The tribe of Christ should be a place that, um, where we can bring our needs and, and they can be met by the body of Christ. That should be our tribe. Like, it's so cool when things happen. You know, something happened last week and somebody came in super discouraged. And somebody else outside of the pastoral staff, you know, just began to minister to that person. That's how it should be. That's caring for your tribe. That's loving on your tribe. You should be doing these things. Not, oh, hey, let me go get you somebody. No, no, let me do it. I'll minister to you right now. Let's pray. Hey, we have the same God. We have the same spirit. You can minister to people just as well as I can. Man, that's awesome when you see these things happening. And, and so Paul is telling him, telling him, make sure you create that culture, Titus, within the body of Christ, that people care for other people. You know, again, our world is um, on a fast track to care about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, right? We don't care about anything else but ourself. And, you know, that can breed into the church. We want to abandon that idea. We want to care about our, our, our tribe. We want to care about each other. We want to love each other. We want to help when we can help. That's the biblical mandate, folks. These are our people, and we need to care for them. That means, you know, provide financially or whatever resource the body needs in that moment that we, we pull together and, and we, we um, help in cases of urgent need. You know, you look at the cults. Look at the Mormons. They do an incredible job of this. Do you know that? They do an incredible job of this. They pull together and they help their own people. If you lose your job in the Mormon religion, guess what? They're taking care of you until you can get on your feet. doesn't mean you, you just sit back and go, oh, man, I'm being taken care of. No, these people also have the idea that I need to go find something and get something going so that I'm not a burden to the church. But they take care of their people because everybody's pulling their weight. Everybody's doing it. It's a culture, and it's awesome. How much more should we be doing that? 
We need to be doing that. If it, what, what, what do I have to offer the body? What can I bring? What giftings has the Lord given me? How can I contribute to the body? How can I be part of a, a good, healthy culture, you know, where I'm, I'm blessing the tribe that I'm part of? That's the mentality. Paul is so good at keeping the tribe of Christ caring for one another. He goes on to mention, all who are with me send greetings to you. What's he doing? He's connecting you with other believers. And he's saying, everybody here is loving on you, man. They're thinking about you. They care about you. And, and he goes on and he says, greet those um, who love us in the faith. He's connecting dots, folks. He's saying, we're not just a tribe, but we are a tribe. We're not just you know, we're, we're a body of Christ, but we're part of the body of Christ. So it's beyond the walls, and that's what he's doing. And, you know, I think a lot of churches in this culture make it about their little four-walled four box, and this is my tribe. Well, it is, but we're part of a bigger tribe. And we need to think about a bigger tribe. We need to be thinking about the, all the other churches in our community. And when there's needs or when things happen that we can, how can we come alongside and help out? How can we, you know, partner with the body of Christ to do whatever it is that we feel the Lord's telling us to do? We're a family. And we need to think like that. I just think it's amazing how Paul connects these dots here. And then he says, grace be with you all. It's all about the grace of God, folks. That is the, um, that is the, one, the, the, the one attribute that will connect people together is the grace of God because none of us deserve anything. You know, it's freely by the grace of God that we are what we are, that we have what we have, that we can do what we do. It's by the grace of God. So what an amazing thing. You, have not, you and I have now been reminded twice about our obligations relating to rulers and authorities. Wow probably need that, and also fellow man. Uh, we've also been reminded again about our former condition, which can be helpful to remain relatable to those around us, and, but we're never to dwell on our past. We've also been reminded to rejoice in our regeneration, to never forget uh, that God's arm is not too short, that it can't save somebody. If he can save you, he can save anybody. Don't ever give up on your unsafe family members. We're to remember our mission and complete it which is to, to, to be devoted to good works, folks. And finally, we're to remember our lane and our tribe. These are important reminders that we all need to write down lest we forget like the lady with the ice cream, you know. We, we don't want to miss out on the ice cream with the whipped cream and the, the cherry on top. Last thing you want to do is miss that. That would be a travesty, wouldn't it? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book. And for what it means for us. This is what, what, what we call a pastoral epistle. But this is your word to us. And Paul writing to a pastor. But he's also writing to a church. And he's writing to a church in our day and age. He's writing to us. Through your spirit. Father thank you for the things that we've learned. In the book of Titus. And for just all the great nuggets that we've, we've received from it. And we ask you, Lord, to help these things not to fall by the wayside. But may, may they make lasting change in our lives. And we pray this morning, Lord, as we've been reminded at the last words, the final words of Paul to Titus, Lord, may we 
consider what is said and may we respond appropriately this morning, Lord. And just consider our own hearts before you this morning. God, maybe we're here this morning and we need to repent and turn away from this world. We've made our life totally surrounded by this world rather than surrounded by you. And it's not about your kingdom, but it's about this kingdom. Will you forgive us this morning? Will you help us to remember the high calling that we have? For some here this morning, Lord, they, they're so stuck in their past that they can't get over it. And so they can hardly be used because they're so stuck in what they've done. Will you bring freedom this morning, Lord? Will you set the captive free? Let the past go. And let your forgiveness to take place truly in the hearts of those here this morning, Lord. For some, they've never been regenerated, Lord. They need your saving grace this morning. And that requires repentance on our part to turn away from our sin and turn to you. And so would you move in the hearts of those individuals this morning that, that don't know you as Lord and Savior, want to be forgiven for their sins. Give them the faith, Lord, to recognize that they simply need to call upon the name of Jesus the name above all names, the only name that can save. In a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Forgive me for my sins, Lord. I want to receive salvation today. I want to be changed and transformed. I want to walk in newness of life. Will you forgive me, Lord? believe in your death on the cross for me personally your victorious resurrection for me personally so that I could be risen from the dead I put my faith in you Jesus thank you for making me a Christian today Lord and for those who are here this morning God who are walking strong staying the course not getting sucked into the world, being in the world, but not of the world, Lord. Give us strength today to continue on to press in, to fight the good fight, to focus on the most important things, only those things that will translate into eternity, God. Give us spiritual insights, Lord. Give us strength. Fill us with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.